content warning. This episode of Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman contains discussions about a scene which depicts an attempted suicide, as well as a very brief section mentioning pedophilia. If any of these topics are triggering to you, there are timestamps in the episode description to help you skip over those segments. Enjoy the show. Recommended reading with Jackson Heyman. I am Jackson Heyman, and this is our fabulous first episode. Now, you you might be thinking of, what the hell is this podcast? Who is in my ear right now? Um, well, I'm Jackson Heyman, and this is a podcast where I sit down with my friends and we talk about comic books. I recommend them a famous comic storyline or series of issues. We read them and we sit down and discuss them. And the goal with this podcast is to get more and more people into comic books, graphic novels, and serialized storytelling. And boy, do we have a doozy of a first episode for you. And what, we will, what we're discussing is Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman, published in 2005, running to, until 2008, written by Grant Morrison, with pencils by Frank Whiteley, inks by Jamie Grant, colors by Jamie Grant, and letters by Phil Balsman and Travis Lanham. I might have gotten that wrong. I am reading out of my bad handwriting notes. Oh boy. And we have a doozy of a first guest for you. My dear friend, Nicholas Cordonier. How are also you doing known as, Also known as... Do you I know have, me as... Do I have to say it? You don't need to. I'm going to say it anyway. Okay. Also sometimes known as Chalk. Ah, Chalk. Depending on what circle you're running in. This might go out to people way outside of our friend group. That's okay. You know what? Hello, Chalk. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We're recording a podcast. We um, are. It's hot. It's it very hot. hot I've got I've got my AC unit running, so if you can hear that in the background, my apologies. Yes, I have a window open. I have fans in my tiny studio apartment that I'm about to move out of in three weeks. It is the summer in Milwaukee, baby. Your studio so, apartment is probably as big as my one-bedroom apartment. Yeah. What? I live no. in a very tiny one-bedroom. Don't you have rooms? Uh, I suppose so. It's kind of open concept, except for the bedroom. Whoa! All right. Not really. I'm I'm chalky. I'm I'm making it sound much better than it than it is. It's a yeah, nice little you, quaint place. We like. You're it. you're making yourself seem way more well off than you actually are. Oh no 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 no! This is a very tiny, very cheap apartment. Okay. We just got very lucky with it. Yes. Now, Chonk. Yes. I have a question for you. Yes. What has been your experience with comics and superhero media and all, all of this stuff? I know, like, you've really started getting into all of this just this year, but, like, if you want to give the listeners a breakdown of your experience. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you asked it, actually. So I have, uh, growing up, I wasn't too big of a comic reader. I was probably what you would consider a casual superhero fan you know watched sam raimi spider-man movies watched the dark knight a little later stuff like that so that was kind of my introduction to superheroes is just mainstream media the x-men cartoon the but not not the 90s one the early 2000s x-men cartoon x-men evolution about x-men evolution i was obsessed with that show as a kid so like that kind of started my interest in superheroes probably that show more than anything 
was obsessed with it. Still really like it. Oh, it's so uh, Now that I'm a bit older, I am... I wouldn't call myself an MCU stan, but I'm very interested in the MCU. I watch a lot of the movies. My opinion on them keeps changing. Sometimes I love them, sometimes I hate them, but I'm interested in them more than anything, and I'm interested in the mm-hmm. evolution that is the MCU and stuff like that. Uh, moving on to comic books more specifically, growing up, like I think the biggest introduction to comic books I had was like, I think my brother had a spider-man comic that he got as like a you know a mcdonald's happy meal toy or something like like something like that lying around like a little 20 page thing definitely made for kids lying around so that was kind of my you know as as far into comic books as i got growing up i read and in high school i read like scott pilgrim versus the world so i'm not sure if that would be considered a comic book or it it is but you know I love I, my personal opinion on Scott Pilgrim mm-hmm. is like it's great, it's great. I I love the story. Hate Scott as a character. Yeah, sure. And like I think I think there is a point in every like male identifying like adolescence life where they identified a lot with Scott Pilgrim. Oh boy! But it was also where they were like the most piece of shit. They Maybe were. I mean now that you're thinking about it, like in my head I'm like, well, I never really thought of myself as a scott but looking back yeah i probably did and then so funny speaking of that so around the same time i also read are you familiar with the graphic novel blankets i actually am not this is something i do not know okay so blankets was like the first actual graphic novel i ever read it's like 500 page. i don't know who is it who is it by but like in like 2012 2013 i looked up best graphic novels because i wanted to get into them and this one came up and it's, it's just like a coming-of-age story about a teenage guy or something like that. And I read it at my local Barnes & Noble. Mm. Every time I went to it, or every time I went to the mall and was meeting a friend, I would post up in Barnes & Noble until they arrived, and I would read that Barnes & Noble's copy of Blankets. So I did that, read that. Uh, that is a, a very much like young teenage boy relates to the character. Uh, but now looking back, it's definitely kind of sad boy-esque. That character is definitely a piece of shit because a lot of the comic is like, oh, I'm in love with this girl, but she doesn't love me back. And it's like, no one gives a shit. She doesn't need to like you back. <laughs> like, you're not that great of a guy. Like, you know, yeah. one, one of those things. So, Well, I think there was all there. I think like, and I, I can say this for like, I'm not speaking for every male identifying like, teen in or teen or young adults like but i feel like there's always one like figure of media that you glob onto at a very like impressionable age and then you look back and realize this is one of the biggest pieces of shit that yeah I've ever it's seen. like like for for me it was um it was fucking dr horrible it was dr horrible yep. sing-along blog i was like freshman year of high school i watched this i was like oh boy this guy is right Ooh. he is thinking the exact Uh-oh. way i'm thinking and you know what i'm gonna be just like joss whedon i don't want to be just like joss whedon no one no one wants to be like joss whedon no. anymore no one should want to be like Absolutely him anymore not. but but I, I understand what you're saying because this blank like even in high school when I read it, I was like, eh, this is okay. <laughs> like, this is fine, I guess. But looking back, I'm like, that was kind of a really bad introduction to graphic novels because you kind of read this incel-y yeah story about this kid going through puberty and his obsession with women. So, like, it just, I, I don't know, it hasn't aged super well. Wasn't even that big of a fan of it. So that was, like, the last graphic novel I read. So that's, like, 2012, 2013. Right. And then fast forward to like a lot of the podcasts I listen to, specifically the Weekly Planet. The Weekly Planet is a podcast I really like, and they talk about comic books. And like two years ago, they recommended Spider-Man Life Story. Oh, <laughs> and I for like two years I was like, I I really like Spider-Man media media. Like I like the movies, I like the video games. So I was like, well, I need to start somewhere with comic books. And I thought Spider-Man Life Story was a good place to start because, you know, I'm semi-familiar with Spider-Man's, like, in 
not entire, but I'm I'm very sim I'm very similar with the big story beats. Yeah. You know, Venom, uh, Anime Dying, uh, the Clone Saga, uh, you know, all, all this stuff. Like I, I'm vaguely familiar with it. So I was like, ooh, Spider Man Life Story would be a good place to start because I kinda get, you know, uh, the highlight. It's kinda like a highlight reel. I don't know. Yeah. I thought it would be a good introduction. For those unaware, um, Spider Man Life Story chronicles basically the life and times of Peter Parker decade by decade and he's aging in real time and i think it's a fascinating concept oh yeah and yeah i i think it's great and we're recording this as um marvel is publishing fantastic four life story which i have been following regularly and i am in love with that too well to to wrap this up because you asked this question like five minutes ago red spider-man life story uh thought it was good wasn't like in love with it but I was like, oh, this is a really, I really like comic books now. I especially really like Spider, like, I was just like, I love the character of Spider-Man so so much. I should get more into comic books. Uh, so then, like, the past couple months have just been me going to half-price books, you know, buying yeah. any, I don't buy single issues, but any collection that interests me. So, like, I've got Life Story. I have, like, just a couple-issue collection of, like, a Spider-Man Fantastic Four team-up that I think is oh, relatively yes. contemporary, like probably last five, 10 years or so. I bought like, mm-hmm. Jackson, we talked about it, but I bought like a collection of the first uh, Action 52. Oh, New 52 Action S- Comics. Yeah, yes. the uh, New 52, uh, the first like five issues of their Superman run, yep. which I don't think is Grand Morrison. It is Grand Morrison, a, actually. Is it? it? Okay. It, so yeah, we're, no, you know what? I'll talk. We'll talk about this later when we talk about Grant Morrison. Okay. Yeah. We'll just uh, got that. Uh, have been like very slowly making our way through those, and then Jackson invited me on this podcast, of course. And uh, I've always wanted to read All Star Superman, mm-hmm. like because I don't really know the character of Superman too well outside of the you know the movies and such. And I had heard great things about All Star Superman for years now. So when Jackson's like, hey, do you want to go on this podcast? We can talk about All-Star Superman. I was like, sure. Went to my local Barnes & Noble, saw All-Star Superman for 40 bucks. Was like, no way. Not two hours later, I went to a half-price books and found it for $10. Yeah, I will say Barnes & Noble runs a racket when it comes to some of these things. Like, yeah. I, I, lo- I love bookstores. I love supporting bookstores and comic stores and, like, I am a big physical media guy, and that and that's why I really have globbed onto comics, especially even trades or single issues. And I was like, I love just going and browsing, but like, Barnes and Noble charges a lot. Yeah, yeah. But speaking of All Star Superman, now it's time to really get into this. So, I don't think we could have chosen a more complicated and simple at the same time story and writer to talk about for the introductory first episode. So Graham Morrison, they are this, they have this long prolific career. They started out um, writing comics in the UK in the 80s. They were brought on by DC to do stuff like Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on a Serious Earth, um, Animal Man, and um, Doom Patrol, which they wrote for years under DC's Vertigo imprint. And a lot of those stories are very meta, very complicated, very just a lot of weird ideas all thrown at the wall at once. And mm-hmm. I love them. I I will say I love a lot of those weird stories. And... But, but for the longest time in the late 80s, throughout most of the 90s, that's what Grant Morrison was known for. These weird metafictional stories that talk about, like, superheroes as symbols rather than characters. And sure. you see a lot of that in their work throughout uh, the late 90s and most of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And I feel like All-Star Superman is Morrison's probably most accessible story okay never mind i was gonna say magnum opus but this is the only thing i've read of him uh they've they've got a lot of stuff that you could call their magnum opus but like okay 
I think this is up there for their work. Sure. Uh, because I feel like this is a very universal story. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, I think, have some problems with Grant Morrison because a lot of their work really does rely on encyclopedic knowledge of whatever universe they are writing in. And it's mostly DC, but they did write some stuff for Marvel in the early aughts. But, um, yeah, it's a lot of just like, hey, do you remember this one character who appeared in one issue in the 1960s? Well, now they are the complete focus of this story. Sure. So it's very, it's very weird stuff like that, and you see a lot of that in All-Star Superman. Mm-hmm. But what I think super interesting about this is, it, like I said, it's a very universal story, and it touches on every single piece of like the Superman mythos that you want to hear. You want, mm-hmm. you want to hear about, you want to read. And I, I think um, I, I think it's really explained in like those first couple of panels on the first page. It's like just like panel, 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 explaining everything you need to know about Superman, who he is, where he came from, what his basically modus operandi is, and then big splash page of Superman in some of the most beautiful artwork I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and, it's interesting yeah. okay. the thing you you were just commenting on cuz like, you know, this being my first introduction to Grant Morrison's work, it's I was surprised at just how fast-paced it was and how they don't necessarily hold your hand through the narratives. You know, being somebody that this was my first introduction to Superman in comic book form, I was at the same time I was expecting more hand-holding and more context behind everything. But on the other end, I'm, I enjoyed it without it, and I'm almost grateful that it didn't provide that hand-holding besides, you know, those, those quick beats at the beginning because it just kind of allowed me to, you know, just sit with the character. And I think to your point, what Grant Morrison's trying to do with this is it's not Superman necessarily as a character. It's more of them as a symbol or more the essence of that character if that makes sense. Uh, exactly. Uh, tangent, I would highly recommend everyone reading um, Graham Morrison's autobiography. Bi- it's called Super Gods. It is this very... It, it is told... It is an autobiography of their life told in the same way they tell a lot of their stories. So it's very meta. It goes off on tons of side tangents. But it really talks about their own personal experience growing up at the dawn of, like, the Silver Age and the reintroduction of, like, all, like, the big DC characters and the rise of just, like, the second rise of superhero comics Mm -hmm. in the 60s. And it's a very interesting read and just how they view superheroes as symbols and as gods. That's that's interesting. And I, I just have one other thing I want to bring up about um, Grant Morrison before we get into the actual book. Have you heard the story of their experience in, I believe it was Kathmandu? I, no, I definitely have not. No, okay. So, I don't remember what, like, I, I've heard this story told in multiple forms in multiple different sources, but it is the story of Grant Morrison going to either mountains in Kathmandu or Tibet, getting super high and like blasted on LSD or other various drugs sure. and encountering fifth dimensional aliens All right. who, who show Morrison the truths of the universe and basically help them realize that our world is just one big comic book being read by fifth dimensional beings. Okay. All right. And That's a lot to unpack it's just, there. It's such a it's such a weird sort of like it's such a weird like experience to have, but I feel it really like it gives you more context for all of their work. It does. And I know this is the only thing you've really read of Morrison, but 
they tend to write themselves into their stories a lot as a character. Okay. So the final issue of like Animal Man is just Animal Man meeting Graham Morrison being like, oh, this is my last issue writing you. Um, people are probably going to change the way you are next time you get a series. Uh-huh. But All-Star Superman. Um, Morrison, it started out with Morrison being asked to write a, a revamp of the Superman mythos, a new version for the 21st century. Okay. And basically that first part fell through because of a lot, a lot of things, a lot of just bad management practices and um, Morrison going over to Marvel to write X-Men for years. But um, in about 2004, 2005, Morrison comes back to DC. This project starts again. And it, it, the, the, in, the impulse for it sort of changed. Instead of just revamping the character for the regular incarnation of the DC universe, it is now an alternate reality story, just Morrison writing their take on everything Superman. Yeah. So it's not like in canon with regular continuity, which I think is great for new readers. I like out-of-canon stories like this, which give you everything you need to know without having to like tie in every mm-hmm. single detail of what's going on in the DC universe at this yeah. time. So basic plot basic plot summary Superman is fighting Lex Luthor, flies into the sun, becomes overcharged with solar radiation, uh, gets a lot of new powers, but also realizes that realizes that he is dying. Mm-hmm. So these are basically like the last days of Superman. And he's doing all these various things going on, all these various adventures and just basically making amends with everybody in his core cast. And so it touches on everyone you want to see. It touches on Lois Lane. It touches on Jimmy Olsen. It touches on Lex Luthor. It touches on his parents and the, the Kent family farm growing up in Smallville it touches on Krypton and other Kryptonians, and it also touches on like a lot of ver- other villains that I really that I really like. Like, but it is simultaneously it, it is simultaneously super sixties weirdness, like hyper color, just bonker shit happening all the time. Mm-hmm. But at its core, it's a very grounded story because yeah. it's kind of just getting to the essence of. What is Superman? You know, exactly. it's like kind of to the point I said earlier, it's about Superman, of course, but his he doesn't necessarily go through a character arc, if that makes sense. Like, it's not about the character of Superman and his. De- it's not about the development of Superman. It's about what is Superman, the essence of Superman, because I'd argue he doesn't really go through a character arc. He kind of just is in this story and you kind of sit with what he is what he stands for what he represents the i would completely agree like that that's totally true like and and i also would argue that it focuses on other people's responses to superman as well like you see a lot of how everyone else is thinking like i i think for one of the best examples is lois lane and there's a point in very early on in the story where Superman reveals to her that he's Clark Kent. Like, he shares this part of himself with him. And for the entire rest of the story, Lois can't yeah. believe it. Lois, like, thinks she's mm-hmm. lying. Like, this is just a disguise. Which goes to the sort of idea, like, what is the real... Like, what? who is this, the real Kal-El of Krypton? Is he Superman? Is he Clark Kent? Is he sure. somebody else? Like, like there are these two different sides to him that you're That's seeing. interesting, because I didn't, you know, I, I get to that point, but I didn't necessarily read it as that. I just, I just read it as, yeah. like, this funny little, no one can believe that, you know, Clark Kent is Superman. And I kind of read that as just Grant Morrison playing with the construct of all he has to do is put on, you know, glasses, and everyone believes it. And he's kind of playing with that, you know, he kicks that up to 11, where it's like, not only you know it's you know oh you can't just put on sunglasses and you be someone else 
Like, of course, you'll see through that disguise. And I think he just plays with that to the point where even when he outright tells you, people are still like, can't be, can't be them. So I think he's kind of playing yeah, with that I, construct I a little bit and agree. almost making it too, I don't know what the word is, you're playing it up so much. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think that really is a testament because, like, this book leans fully into everything about Superman that people really just love to nitpick and poke fun at. Like, you get a lot of Jimmy Olsen in this book. and You do. Yeah. And, like, I, I want to know what your opinions on, like, Jimmy Olsen as a character are. Ne- separate from this, like, he's just, like, a guy who really likes Superman and mm-hmm. sometimes has his own adventures. Yeah, I... So, like, going into this, I know very little about Jimmy Olsen besides, you know, the side character he is in the movies. So, when we start the story, I was instantly kind of thrown off at how much Jimmy Olsen is their own person. And how much they... I don't know, just how integral they kind of were to the story. Like, I think it was issue three or issue four. That it's a Jimmy-focused... It's a Jimmy-focused issue. Yeah, that's all it was. And And it's like... And I really like how they sort of revamped his character for, at the time, like, the 2000s. Like, Jimmy Olsen is, like, a tabloid sort of writer. He has that column where he's like, I was blank for it. I, I was going to ask you what the content... Because that was just a little part I was confused by, and I almost wish I had more. Because I read that section, and I was like, oh, was this something going on in the comics at the time? Personally, I don't know. Okay. Like, I, I, I don't know, like, what, how Jimmy Olsen or, like, the entire Daily Planet was characterized in the early 2000s. Sure. But that whole, like, issue is a callback to the 60s and the 70s when Jimmy Olsen had his own series where he was, like, it was, like, Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. Okay. And he would go off on his own adventures and, like, constantly get into the weirdest things. Sure. Like, he... I think there's one issue where it like turns into a turtle. Okay, but I, I don't know. It, it was interesting because I, because I was reading it and I was like, okay, I get it. Jimmy Olsen kind of has this column and he's like his own writer. You know, he's known. But then I was also like, how how is he doing all this? Like, why is he the director of? Pro- I forgot what it was called. Project. St- I think it's like pro. It's like one big acronym. Project. But it's project. Yeah. And I don't believe we ever learn the meaning of the acronym project well because i was just like how does he have this poll like how is he doing all this i if i can pause something i think it's just because he gets by on the clout of being like oh i know superman i have a watch sure. that can call hey, him I'll, I'll take it i'll take it because at first i was like that's when so i started reading it reading it in one sitting and that was when i put it down for that first sitting because i was like Oh, I don't know. I don't really know what's going on. It put me off for a second, but then when I went back to it and I got just a couple more pages in, I was like, it didn't matter. Yeah. None of that context mattered. We're immediately back into it. And I think that's when, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's when he kind of becomes Bizarro and has yes. to stop evil Superman. It's, yeah, it is yeah. like the black kryptonite that turns Superman into a Bizarro, basically. Yeah. And Jimmy Olsen has to stop him by injecting himself with a serum that turns him into Doomsday that's to right, that's right. subdue Superman. Yeah. And, like, which, which I think is very interesting because, like, all of these other elements come from the golden age of Superman comics. And except, except for Doomsday, who was created in the 90s, to basically be the unstoppable foe that killed Superman for, like, a year in continuity. Yeah. So, like, I, I'm glad... I'm really interested... I, I really like how Morrison sort of pulls from everything. Mm-hmm. And, like, I feel like a lot of this is sort of inspired by the 70s movies, too. Like, there's a lot of, like, that feel of just, like, sweeping beauty yep. and action with it like i found myself humming along to like the the john williams theme superman theme like at multiple times you can definitely see, i i think to your point you can see the influence of he's taking you know he's pulling from the 90s with the uh death of superman arc 
he's pulling you know there's definitely some of that christopher reeve uh oh gosh uh the director escapes me at the time at the moment um richard donner richard donner richard Richard donner Donner. Donner. pulling from those films uh i i'm not familiar with early superman comics but i think just the whole focus on jimmy olsen is probably pulling from the silver you know the 60s uh, 60s 50s yeah those stories because like yeah it's it was weird where it was like it was it was it was a series that was created at the point where like superhero comics aren't selling give me teen drama so you get like Jimmy Olsen has a series and then you get Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane so she goes off on her own adventures mm-hmm. and it's like it, it was weird I you know I didn't grow up then I am 22 years old I didn't know what was appealing about that but all right it but that goes to sort of like the whole like thing of the book like there's all these weird ideas just go along with them and I really like that yeah, and I think you kind of get those goofy. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but like when I think of '60s, '70s age of comic books, I think of like the goofy stories almost. Yeah. So like yeah. you kind of get that with Superman goes to Bizarro World or whatever it's called, where Bizar- like yeah, just he Bizarro to, World. Yeah, Bizarro. Yeah, where he has to like speak like them to get. Yes. He has to like almost speak in opposite terms to get them to do yes. what he wants them to do. And then I was like, oh, okay, so, like, we're kind of just getting these different, not themes, but, like, these different moods kind of yeah. pushing yeah. through. And I, I, that's part, that's probably, like, one of my favorite parts of the entire series, because I, I just think Bizarro as a concept is so funny to yeah. me. Like, a, just a failed, defective clone of Superman who just talks in complete opposite yeah. terms and, and they and they that, play it, with it him also, a lot like bizarro's in yeah, this they, a lot biz, the, you get a lot of jimmy olsen and a lot you do, of bizarro you do. with all-star superman so yeah and, i'm sorry go on no go oh, on. oh yeah no you i go, was gonna you say go you you when we were speaking at the beginning you said this was released from 2005 to 2008 yes so how did that work because I know there's 12 issues, 12 or 13 issues in the book. Yeah, 12, 12 issues. And, like, a lot of a lot of comics, like, follow the, like, once-a-month release schedule. But, like, there are certain things where a writer or an artist gets off track, gets behind schedule. So mm-hmm. issues have to be delayed. And I correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the case, this is a case of that where... Um, Morrison, I believe, was writing um, one of the big event books for DC at the same time of this. I believe okay. they were writing Final Crisis around this time as well. So, like, they were dealing with that. All the other artists and colorers and inkers and letterers got were having other projects. So it got delayed. And it, in some cases, like, people get mad that issues are delayed, but... I don't know if many people got mad about this because it's it's almost sort of like, and I think this is speaking of the book as a whole, like it's a series of interconnected issues that all sort of unite under a single theme. Like I described this in my notes as like a good season of TV. This is like, it feels like, like a single season of television where like you're not getting major plot progression every episode, but yeah. there's I understand. stuff going I, I, on. I point that out because reading this, yeah. I because you know me, I'm not super familiar with comic books or how they're released or anything. But like reading this, it didn't come across as different. I mean, of course, there's chapters almost. You know, you have these little self-contained stories. But reading yeah. it, I was like, it it is a collection. Like it works so well as a collection. I couldn't imagine reading this as it was released in 2005 Absolutely. through 2008, having to wait four months, you know, four months for an yeah. issue to come out because it just works so well as a complete story. Which is why I really like um, going back and collecting trade paperbacks and hardcovers and all this stuff, like, because I love single issues. I have a box of single issues right off camera from me, but. 
I like them more when they when single issues tell self-contained stories. Yeah. And I feel like that's a major disappointment of the modern comics industry because everything has become so reliant in, reliant on multi-part storytelling and just to get people to wait for the next issue. Sure. And that's where you see a lot of um, readership falling because, like, if one part of this story isn't good, then... It's going to be hard to get them to come back yeah, for the next then issue. Then why bother waiting for the next? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I, to that point, I, I, I think it really works because it works as that thorough yeah. line. But at the same time, these chapters, these issues are self-contained where, like, some of the other collections I'm reading are you know they don't hold your interest super well there are bits and pieces that kind of flow into the next one that don't it doesn't serve as a satisfying single read and i think that's sort of been you know going off on a long tangent i think this is sort of my problem with like the current mcu series like all the disney plus series that those and like modern comics with all these multi-page stories they're all trying to set up something bigger to gauge interest to like sure. make people want more like we are recording this a few weeks after loki ended and like i liked a lot of loki but the ending felt a lot to be let left a lot to be desired for me because like yes the big cliffhanger at the end is great is cool i can't wait to see what happens next but like the rest of the episode was just not was was just two people sitting in a room and talking that's okay though yeah no, it, was, it was great i still really I li liked it uh, yeah i know i know because i because i know you didn't like the first couple episodes of loki or like you you were just were weirded out by it them. it took a while to i mean we're kind of off on a tangent now but it took a yes. while for me to sit with it because i i had this sense of dread like oh no where is this going? We kind of seemed... Because it was a little slower, which I, I have no issues with. I kind of like that yeah. slower storytelling. But I was so worried because I was like, uh oh, this seems a little meandering. I was yeah. like, this might be an issue because it seems like maybe it was drawing itself Stretched out or yeah. waiting for something to happen. And then, you know, the the episode one and episode two cliffhangers were kind of underwhelming to me. Because as soon as I started yeah. the show, I mean, spoilers for Loki if anyone hasn't seen it. But, like, starting the show, I was like, yeah, Lady Loki's probably going to show up, right? And then yeah. at, the end of, at the end of episode one, the big, you know, the big cliffhanger is, we're chasing a variant of you. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I kind of thought that. Like, I kind of knew that already. And then the cliffhanger of episode two is... We meet the variant, and it's Lady Loki. And I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, you're not giving me anything I didn't already assume or expect. And then, yeah. you know, it gets better in the later half of the season. But then, I, to your point, mm -hmm. while the final episode is good because, you know, you have this great chemistry and you have this great character that they introduce, it it ends. And then it ends kind of with the promise of, Oh, wait to wait till you see what what else is up our sleeve. Wait till you see what's coming next. Which like, I, wait till you see these wacky adventures of this evil yeah, time yeah. man. Yeah, or like wait till you see, wait till you see the suit. ramifications of this. And while that's exciting, and while I'm excited at the stories they could tell now that they've opened that can of worms, at the same time it's like, well, that season served as a means to an end. Exactly. It it served that show served to open the door for something else that we had been suspecting was going to happen anyway. Yeah, and a lot of modern comics, especially like since the 2010s, are a lot like that. And you get you get to certain things where it's like certain writers will come onto a series, start setting up these things, start setting up these various plot threads, then the book gets canceled. And Sure then what happens to like all this setup with no payoff? And that's sort of to the point of like, that's how some of the Disney plus series have been feeling for me. Yeah. I understand where they're kind of like, yeah, yeah. We're on, we're on the same page about this. Yes. Okay. Back to all-star Superman. Yeah. I think there's an element that we haven't really talked about a lot. And it's one of my favorite elements of the book is the characterization of Lex Luthor. Yeah. 
I, I think it is a very unique characterization because he is just, he, no, it is a version of Lex Luthor that has won, basically. He basically signed Superman's death sentence in issue one. Yeah. And then he's just like gleeful for the rest of the book. He cut, yeah. Yeah. He, he accomplishes his goal in issue one. And then for the rest of the series kind of sits with it and is just kind of yeah. basking in his accomplishment. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting take and like it's a far off take from where Lex Luthor was in the main DC universe at the time because he had just come off a four-year run of being president of the United States. Sure. Um, I I am aware of this this yes. development. Which, you know, what a great choice. Like we've lived through a Lex Luthor president presidency at this point. Well, sure, yeah. No, kind of. If we got a Bezos presidency, then it would it, be... It would be a Lex Luthor presidency. Yes. But we... Yeah, I understand what you mean. Yes. We like, we lived through a, a character. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know what? So, Didn't expect to get political, but... Sure. Okay. I, so, like, in... So, in the president run, how is he... I mean, obviously, he's president, but how is his characterization different? Obviously, he hasn't won, I presume. Not... So... It was not much. He wasn't... He was very much a blank slate president figure at that point. Okay. Until he got too obsessed with defeating Superman, put on his power suit, and fought Superman again. Okay. And that's what got him, I believe, impeached. Okay, sounds good. That's... But... Like, how in the... How in just the regular... How was his characterization in the regular DC, you know, main line or whatever, continuity different than his characterization so, here well i think i think this is just a form of his mainline characterization it is a different side to it because in the main canon of dc comics like luther doesn't win that much he does he's always like fought, trying to find new ways to beat superman beat these superheroes and like take control of the world for himself but we see a version of Luthor that has already done that throughout this, and he is very arrogant about it. He knows that he's won, and he's constantly, like, pontificating about, like, oh, Superman is going to die yeah. soon, and I yeah. did that. Me. Yeah, that, that is interesting, because you kind of... I mean, his, his characterization is his ego in this story specifically. Yes. And I... The one part I was looking forward to so like i knew this happened where i i was familiar with the uh, the prison scene because i had i had seen clips of that from other media mm -hmm. and i had like i was just aware of that little you know development in the story and then i was aware that at the end he gained spoilers for all-star superman but he gains superman's powers and when he's coming down yes. from the powers and he finally kind of gets to see through Superman's eyes, I was looking forward to it because I was like, oh, awesome. He's going to kind of change his ways and have a change of heart. And that's not what happened. Like, he he it's saw not. it. It's not. And that was it. Where I was fully expecting him to lay down in defeat because he finally got to see things through Superman's lens, through Superman's eyes. Yeah. He's reduced to, like, a, a sniveling worm at the end, basically. He's like, I could have saved the world if you had died. But it's it's very interesting yeah. just watching him fall from complete arrogance to everything goes wrong for him. And I do like, I, I think what kind of sums up that dynamic so well is after that, where he's like... I can save the world once you're dead. Like, yeah. I, once you're gone, I will save the world. Yeah. And Superman's like, you could have done it this whole time. And I, I was like, oh, that, that kind of had an emotional punch on me. Yeah. Because you, you call out Lex Luthor's biggest flaw, which is that mm -hmm. he is so obsessed with Superman that he's letting it get in the way. Uh, you know, he uses Superman as the scapegoat for all the things I can't do. But it's exactly. exactly what it is, is a scapegoat, and he can do anything he can, 
anything he can do without Superman, he can do with Superman. Superman is not stopping him from doing good. That is one of, like, the most grounded parts of the story in this book chock full of, like, people that talk opposite, uh, weird fifth-dimensional Superman um, from another timeline. We don't have to get into that. That's a weird part, but I, I really enjoyed I did that too. part. Yeah. And then also, like, time travelers. There's a couple of time travelers named Samson and Atlas. Yep. They show up for a little bit. just show up, show up for, like, two issues, and... As far as I know, I did some research on this. This is the only time they've ever appeared. They were created for this. Oh. Never showed up in DC Comics. Oh, proper. okay. That's it. That's interesting. Is, which, yeah. So, like, Morrison just creates these two time travelers based on a biblical figure and a sure. Greek figure. That's so interesting because when they yeah. showed up, I was like, oh, here's some people I don't know because I don't know the context. And just to learn that, that they're just random made up characters speaking of which speaking of characters made you know characters with context uh, as you said when we meet those fifth dimensional supermen from the future and everything like that are they created for this off the top of my head i'm not sure but there it pulls from the 50s superboy comics so like before there was an actual like superboy character in their own in in their own right is Superboy was like the adventures of Clark Kent in Smallville when he was yeah. a teenager wearing the same suit he would wear years okay. later as sure. an adult and going on adventures. And it pulls a lot from that where like he would always encounter future versions of himself. Okay, that makes sense. Because I, I really liked yeah. that. I liked meeting these yeah. other characters. And then at the... Because like, you meet that... You meet just another version of Superman, like not another dimensional Superman. Yeah. You just meet super, like the one that was bandaged up is just Superman. Yes, the unknown Superman of like the four, the fourth, forty fifth century or whatever it was. And I read that as that's the same same person. Yeah. That's the same Superman. Oh, I guess he finds a way out of this. Yeah, because but what I what I think is funny is then when the book ends, he's doing what he's doing. You know, he's keeping the sun alive yeah but then there's that spark of well something must happen it's a very like he must come back yeah it's a very open-ended ending and i and i really like it allows you to form your own sort of conclusions yeah like Like, maybe maybe eventually the sun just naturally gives out Mm -hmm. you know what what is that you know 20 millenniums later 20 (laughs) centuries later sorry yeah, I don't. I don't know. Twenty centuries later, sun gives out, and he's. If, if I knew about astrophysics, I wouldn't be hosting a podcast about comics. That's just time. I just mixed up millennium and centuries. <laughs> now I don't think the sun is going to be gone in two thousand years. I'm pretty sure that's not a thing. You th- pretty you sure think it's millions of years with, or something. You think the sun's going to die out next week? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Global don't know. Uh, global warming is going to take care of everything before that happens. So we don't. It is eighty six degrees right now. It, it's happening. It's happening right now. No, but to your point, I do like how. You know, we can talk about the ending. I think, but it ends oh, yeah. on this very hopeful, no- hopeful note because the whole time you're like Superman's going to die. Yeah. But then you reach the end, and he's dead in a sense because he can't return. But he's not dead. He's almost continuously saving humanity. Yeah. And there's and there's a lot of themes of like legacy too. Like because like the whole thing of like he's preparing the fortress of solitude for somebody else, somebody to come take over for him. And then you've got the big tease at the end where like Project is prepping like a new Superman yep. gene program. And so it's a lot of like leaving things behind while still keeping your own personal legacy. And I, I alive. think that closure to Superman's character is, you know, we keep talking about the essence of Superman, but it's it's him in a nutshell, where his death yeah. or his you know conclusion is both figuratively and literally him always saving human like his death is a continual saving of humanity like even in death he is still a protector even in death he is still yeah saving saving people and protecting humanity which was just such a such an interesting like 
I don't know. There's no better way to put a bow on that story than even in death, he is a protector. He is saving people. Yeah. It it reminds me of, I'm going to spoil Final Crisis for you and any listeners who haven't read it before. Personally, like, there's a lot of things I don't like about it, but what I really liked is, like, that book ends with Batman dying. That that book ends with Bruce Wayne getting killed by Darkseid. But in reality, he didn't get killed, actually. He was, like, sent through time and shit like that, like comic books. But the whole thing ends on, like, cavemen at the beginning of time and one of them just like paints the bat symbol on on the wall of a cave and like it's it sort of gave me that same vibe of like we will still remember these heroes for their symbols even when they are physically dead i'm I'm still wrapping my my mind around the caveman caveman batman caveman batman i was like what? Well, well, Caveman Batman, Pirate Batman, Cowboy Batman, those all get explored during Bruce Wayne's wacky adventures through time and space. All right. All right. Makes sense. But go on with w- what you were saying. There's one other, like, element of, like, the groundedness that I want to talk about before we, like, get into the next section. Mm-hmm. There's, um, there's, like, that page of, like, four or five panels where it's the um, young kid on the roof. And oh, they are yeah. about they are about to jump, mm-hmm. and Superman floats down behind them, and is basically like, "Your doctor did get held up," which is Please. a page or two beforehand. Yeah. You see the doctor is, get held up. It is foreshadowed, and like it's really striking. And I've seen this this page specifically has gone viral yeah. a lot recently of like the most, like, wholesome and sweet comic book moments of, like, Superman talking down this kid who's very... who's contemplating suicide. I think it's a very uplifting page. Like, to have this larger-than-life figure come down and basically just be himself and act as a symbol of goodness to help you through the darkest times of your life. and to your point that it just explores that character more where from the yeah. biggest stage to the smallest, you know, whether he's saving the planet or saving one life, he, he's putting in that effort. He's there. Yeah. Cause there's, there's a scene earlier where he like rescues a kid and his dog from like mm-hmm. a car crash. So like you are getting big cosmic Superman adventures and also like street level stuff, which. And that's, that's where I feel most Superman media is lacking. Because, like, the whole point of, like, I don't think Superman is most interesting when he's saving Mm -hmm. the planet or anything like that. It's those small, you know, it's those little small moments. And people make fun of, like, oh, we don't want to see Superman saving a cat from a tree. But it's, like, that's where his character is. There's a reason. Like, his character is more more that than it is anything else. There's a reason that that image of Superman saving a cat from a tree is, like, one of the first things a lot of people think of when they think of Superman. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Now, close, b- before we get into closing, I want to talk about the art real quick, Frank Whiteley's art. Sure. Which, sure. it's beautiful. This is some of my favorite artwork of any comics artist. Like, it is not super detailed like a lot of comic art is right now in, like, the 2020s where it's, like, hyper-musculature, like, very detailed suits and stuff. It is just simple and colorful. Yeah. Like, I think the use of color is so good in this book. I I like the... I I, I don't know if I like this, because at first I found it very jarring. Yeah. But, like, the the choice to make Superman kind of the schlubby guy. Or, like, specifically Clark Kent is a schlubby guy. Yeah, I love it. I, lo- then, I love this version of Clark Kent. And then even when we see Superman, like like full on Superman, he's not super. Mu- he's not like muscular. He's not ripped. He's just big. And There's... I was like, oh, because at first it was jarring. I was like, oh, I what is this? This seems so strange. We There's... have like because I've only ever seen Superman accentuated by the muscle, and to see him just as this figure was interesting. 
There is a quote from an interview that Morrison did with um, Newsarama back when, like, as the series was ending, about yeah. how they and Frank Quitely were at San Diego Comic-Con and saw a Superman cosplayer who looked like this, who was not super muscular, muscular but in a sense kind of schlubby, and they, were, and they were like, this is how our Superman should look. He is a Superman for everyone, sure. basically. Yeah, that I mean that was because at first I didn't like it. At first I was like, "Oh, this isn't what I'm used to." But then as I was reading, I was like, "No, I, I kind of get it, and it's growing on me, and I like it." He's very huggable. I, <laughs> I'd give this Superman a hug. He's a on a scale of one to ten, he's a very he's up there on the huggability scale. But yeah, I agree. He like kind of gives you this. Yeah, I guess it's more like to the point I keep saying it's more protector than it is warrior. Yeah, if that makes sense, yeah. like because he's he's a, a physical being, like he's a very big physical presence, but at yeah. the same time he looks soft and like he yeah. is soft. So I think that characterization, that appearance, speaks to the characterization they're trying to go for. Yeah, and is going off that too. Like it's the same body type for both Superman and Clark Kent but presented in very different it ways. It is, and I, I, like, I liked that in, like, after I was, in, in my collection at least, after uh, after we finished the final issue, there's, like, some concept concept art, and yes, you, you see yes. a back-to-back what must have been the artist going, this is what he looks like when he's Clark Kent, and this is his bot, you know, this is his posture, and this is him when he's Superman. And it's the same, you can tell, He's like bending his knees in and he's slouching and then he's standing up when he's Superman. And that was just like a, oh, wow. Like, I don't know, just a little added note because I feel like it could be so lazy to just draw Superman with glasses on and that's Clark Kent and then take the glasses off and that's Superman. But he just, his physical appearance completely changes. It's a very testament to Quitely's art and pencils. Because this is, like, the second collaboration... I believe the second collaboration of Morrison and Quietly because they worked on New X-Men in the early 2000s, right before okay. this. And that is... Those are, like, the images I think of when I think of X-Men. Like, because that, that's, like, the black leather jacket era. That is the beast is a big, like, bear era. I was about to say, Superman in this has very... He has, like, Wolverine. He has beast-like qualities to him. Yeah, it's 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 a very it's very yeah. good artwork, and I mentioned the colorists and the um, pencil and the inkers and the letterers earlier because of like that stuff is super important to books like this where like you really can see the detail and thought yeah. put into it. Like the speech bubbles for like the Bizarro people are way different than clark's yep. speech bubbles and it's very yeah interesting. I, I all around this was like a very good introduction to just the medium because you can kind of see how you know the the writing does something and then these you know the penciling i think is what the correct term is the penciling does something and then the inking does something yeah. and then the shading does something so like it's just a nice way of seeing mm-hmm. how everything kind of blends together in this medium that doesn't really cross over into anything else so like it's a very good use of how yeah. this medium can present something in a way that other mediums can't Absolutely. Well, listeners, um, there is a lot we didn't talk about in this, about this book. Uh, we, we glazed over Kryptonians. We glazed over, glazed over Superman curing cancer. We glazed that over a lot I, of Bizarro. I did like that bit. That bit was so... It was great. But that, I, can, I read... That was yes, good. You can read all that for yourself. If you would like to check out All-Star Superman, available wherever comics and trade paperbacks are sold. Now, Chonk, I am introducing the final segment of each episode. Ooh, okay. And uh, right now I'm calling it um, Cast the Comic, but I, but I don't have any qualms about changing that name in the future. So okay. what we're going to do is we're going to just do a quick freeform discussion of, like, what actors would you want to see play the characters in this specific incarnation of Superman. Okay. Because I have two possible choices for Superman right off the top of my head. Sure. Okay. I Forgive me if we've talked about this, but I forgot that we were doing, we were fan casting this. Yes. So now, like, I'm really having to think about it. 
and I'm just yes. gonna I'm just gonna do a quick Google search and see if I get any good yes. responses from that. But, I will I will talk about my um. T- one, I'll talk about one of my picks first off. Tell me tell so, me what you're thinking because I I just did a quick Google search and they gave me uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt as Superman and I hate that. So I don't like that. That's not a good option. So go ahead and hit me with what you're thinking. So I have not seen the CW series Superman and Lois. Ooh, okay. But I have seen that clip of on Twitter himbo, about fifty times. Himbo of like, Superman. Yeah, of himbo Superman of him saving the kid and the kid's like nice costume and Superman's like thanks my mom made it for me yeah he and is like that is that is the vibe uh his name is Tyler Ho- Ho- Hachlin or Hochlin he, I don't know he's it's, in one of my favorite the, movies of all time what movie uh everybody wants some oh he he is I didn't in, know that was one of your favorite movies. it is one of my favorite movies he's in it he is a very good incarnation of Superman like Yes. I don't really, yeah. I'll say it. I don't really like Henry Cavill as Superman. Like it's just, Neither do but I. it's not. It's not, not his it's... fault. It's they're they're not giving him much to work with. Like that, yeah. those scripts are fundamentally. I do. I I think those scripts fundamentally do not understand most of the characters they write for. Yeah. And speaking of which, uh, the Snyder versus Superman. I feel like All Star Superman is like the antithesis. It, the antithesis, exactly. Like. All-Star was written way before Snyder came in and took over the DC movies, but it is definitely the complete opposite of what Morrison presents. Yeah, absolutely. As Superman. So what were you going to so, say you thought the CW actor? Yes. Uh, his name is Tyler Hachlin. Um, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that. I am... His name, his first, his last name is sort of spelled like how my last name is spelled, so I go in. I go into that default pronunciation mm-hmm. but either him or there's been this discourse of like should superman be played by a black man uh-huh. or a man uh, or another or an actor of color sure and like because like there's that rumor of like michael b jordan is going to be superman or something uh-huh. i would like to bring forth william jackson harper um he was cheaty on yeah, good yeah, place yeah he no is, that's um He's in Midsommar. You, you gave the right answer. That's the right answer. Yes. yes. That is... Right? Because I've also seen him fan cast. Yes. Because... Okay. No, I saw him fan cast as Reed Richards. Yes, I told yes, you that Yes, that's, that's what you told me. No, that's, that's yes. probably the correct answer. Like, I think he would be a better Superman than, a, than he would a Reed Richards, but he is also my pick for Reed Richards. Yeah, he... I'm trying. See, the problem is I'm so stuck in the body type. So I'm thinking of a yeah. big physical presence that could play Superman, and I'm I'm just a little bit out of a loss. But I Dave Bautista. Dave, yeah, sure, Dave. Oh God, John Cena. <laughs> John Cena as you're talking about Fast and the Furious Nine star. Uh, Dom Toretto. We could have Vin Diesel. Vin. I uh, you want Vin? I I don't think okay. it works for this story. I think it's definitely more of a Kingdom Come fan cast. But I've always wanted to see yes, yes, uh, John Hamm as Superman. But I don't think it necessarily works for this story. John Hamm's my Batman. John Hamm has always been my Batman. So oh. I, I I'll have to disagree with you there. He I saw. Are you familiar with Dexter at all? Yes. What's that actor's name? Michael C. Michael Hall. C. Hall. I can maybe see him. I could see him. He's been fan cast a lot as Batman and Superman. He's a name I see thrown out. I used yeah. to see thrown out a lot. Yeah. But no, I think uh, I think Cheedy yeah. is Cheedy, William Jackson Harper is is the good answer. Is the right answer. I had a couple other. I we're running pretty long, but I had a couple other things I wanted to get out there. Um, Kristen Milioti as Lois Lane. She is my pick for Lois Lane. I gotta look up who um, that is. Star of Palm Springs, and Ooh. she was the mother in How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's oh, she's a, great. That's a good answer, sure. Yeah. And then um, my Lex Luthor, um, you know, Jesse there have been a lot of great cinematic Lex Luthers. Yeah. There was Gene Hackman. And in no one the else. original 70s. Yeah, uh, nobody else. And no one no, else. No one else. We're not, we're not thinking about the 2005 Superman movie starring a pedophile and directed by a, by pedophile. a pedophile. You think they ever talked? They must have, right? I don't know. They must have. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about yeah, this. Yeah, no, we're not going to. But my pick 
is an actor we are both familiar, very familiar with, Brian Cranston. As Lex Luthor? Yes. I, I really, I've always liked Brian Cranston as Lex Luthor, but I'm not, I'm, I feel like... Maybe not as maybe this not, Lex yeah. Luthor, but... Not this Lex, yeah. who am I thinking of for this Lex Luthor? I feel like it needs to be, oh, I don't know. I, this fan cast I didn't hate. Are, are you familiar with Children of Men, that movie? Kind film of. Children of Men. Let me find who that actor is. I wouldn't mind Clive Owen. Oh, yeah, Clive I think, Owen. I think Clive Owen would really work for this. I could also see um, Jason Isaacs, who... Um, yeah, no, things, yeah, But yeah. Lucius Malfoy, specifically. I can really... Jason Isaacs, especially for this. Jason, I, yeah, yeah. I can see but, it. I think that's a good that's a good decision. And then I just think all the Bizarro people should just be played by... Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Bizarro. As Bizarro. And... Jesse Eisenberg as Jimmy Olsen. Don't quote me on that. I that was not a that was not a real pick. Sure, I was thinking Michael Sarah as Jimmy Olsen, but I was like too obvious. I was about to say. I was like too <laughs> obvious. Too too obvious, but you know sometimes it, that's the the obvious choice is the best. You know who would be a good Jimmy Olsen? That uh that kid. For, have you seen Booksmart? Yes. Yes. The the, the love interest in Booksmart. Scott. Uh, Skyler is, is Skyler his name? Skyler something? Let me look it up. He's he's like the the character in Booksmart who like is has the party on the boat that no one. Skyler Gasando, I think, is his name. Yes. Is yes. this him? Because yeah, is, it is him. Because he's also in The Righteous Gemstones, which is an HBO. He is in the Righteous an HBO uh, show that I really enjoy. A show that I've been wa- meaning to watch for a long time. It is very. F- but haven't. It is very funny. And then I will throw one last thing out there. For us and for some dear friends of ours who are good listener, who will who will hopefully be good listeners, you better be listening. But um, um, as the fifth dimensional Superman, you need someone with a gremlin like quality. Okay. Um, someone who can be chaotic, but also very just like sympathetic. The star of our favorite next Netflix sketch comedy show. Tim Robinson. Tim Robinson is. I like that. Yes. He would also be my choice for Mr. Mixa Pitlick, the fifth dimensional imp. I I will throw this out here. Uh, Michael Imperioli as Lex Luthor. I don't know who he that is. He plays. You don't. You don't. You don't watch The Sopranos, but he plays Christopher Moltisani in The Sopranos. <laughs> of course. I. Th- of he course. would not work as Lex Luthor, but screw it. I want to see it. You know what? The more you get to talk about The Sopranos, That's all the I want. All right. On that note, thank you all for listening to the fantastic first episode of Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman. And remember, Zibaro am king of cool. Goodbye, everybody. See ya, everyone. Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman's theme music was written by Charlotte Rosenthal. Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman is produced by Mythonomica Productions. Thank you for listening.